You know, it's a tradition here at City Life. We like to cheer for our kids. We say it every week. We want them to know what heaven sounds like every day, every day that they wake up. So we got a giveaway. You know, we like to do a giveaway every every week here at the City Life Church, both here and in the uh, in the Williamsburg campus. And so I'm going to do the giveaway this week to Warren and Sandy. It's a Starbucks gift card because Sandy. I know you can cheer. You don't even know, but we like that you like to clap. Come on. So earlier in the week, I got a, I got a call from Sandy, and, and, uh, and Sandy said, Can, uh, would, it, would it be all right if we did communion every weekend in the month of January when we're fasting? Because we're on day 11 of our fast. And I said, well, as long as you're just not trying to create a snack for yourself, right? So they, I noticed they cut the bread up into really big chunks. Did you notice that? So all the people were fasting, we're, 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 we're cutting the bread up. So, so and, and you know what we love too is that she called and she said, I'd, I'd like to put that forward as, as an idea. And then she also said, and we'd be willing to come and do it every week. Isn't that good, right? They come with an idea and they're willing to say, and we'll make it happen. They said, we'll be there every week and we'll make that happen. So if, uh, when you see Warren and Sandy at the end of the service, uh, you can just thank them for being here early and, uh, and doing what it takes to create that experience for us. And who knows, that could become a tradition for us here at the City Life Church that every weekend in the month of January when we're fasting together that we'll have communion uh, together here. So thank you again. It was good. So if you're visiting with us, you've picked a great series to kind of uh, stumble into, if we could say that, that the, uh, uh, the, the church has never had a series of podcasts that we were able to give to people to answer the question, who are we as a church? I mean, every week we probably end up talking something about what's unique about our church, what we believe, what we're passionate about. We talk about the culture of our church, but we've never had a series that we've put together. And every weekend when we come together, the purpose of that message, the purpose of that series is to answer the question, who is the City Life Church? So two weeks ago, we launched into this series we're calling His House and then last weekend, we, we, we took a break from it. We had our annual sharing service the first weekend of every month. Uh, we do uh, open mic during the sermon. Wasn't that fantastic last week if you were here? All those people. I know. You can clap. Come on. That's so, don't, be a, don't be a reluctant clapper. Come on. And then we did our first one in Williamsburg ever, right? Because that campus was just a year old in September. So we did our first sharing service there. Same thing. It was fantastic. What an incredible experience. So we're picking up tonight with, with part two. We're going to wrap it up next weekend. And then the last weekend of the month, when we get there, that's going to be our anniversary service. And we're going to launch the theme for 2013 that we feel like that God has spoken to our church. And so just to kind of get our brains moving in the right direction, we like participation. We, we did this kind of two weeks ago, but we're going to do it with a, with a different angle tonight. So I want you to think when you were growing up and you went to someone's house, maybe you had a best friend that you were over there all the time, and there was something about that house that made you jealous, right? There was something that was there that you wished that it was part of your house, but when you were there, you knew you were at their house because fill in the blank, right? Because we're talking about this idea, if we're going to call this God's house, there should be some distinctives. That's how we launched the series. What makes this a church? What makes it his house? So again, just to kind of get your brain moving in the right direction, what are some things? So I'll give you an example. So when I was in college, I had a friend, and they lived in a very wealthy neighborhood up in Maryland, and sometimes I would go home with them for the weekend, and they had a neighbor, had a neighbor who in their basement had an underground shooting range. I know it's the 11th commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's basement underground shooting range, right? All right, so, so what's something, it might not be that extreme, but something when you were at their, your friend's house, when, growing up, you knew you were there because, Stephanie? 
a trampoline. Did you ever have a trampoline at your house growing up? I know you're still bitter about it, aren't you? I know, I know, I know how you feel. Juice. Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo. I know, Sandy. They had a friend who had a tree, and that was in the house, not just a tree house. So they built a room as part of their house, and the tree came up through the room in the house. We should just stop there, because who's going to top that, right? <laughs> Susan. Wow. N the whole time you were growing up, never had a TV in your home. Wow, until high school, they grew up without a TV in their home. Let's pray for her right now. <laughs> Sharon. Yeah. Her, her friend's mother did arts and crafts with them, homemade cooking, and her mother never did any of those things. Come on. Yes, Jasmine. A pool. Yes. An in-ground pool or the above-ground kind? It was in-ground. Yeah, right? I know, because it's just a little bit better. Jen? Four-wheeler. A four-wheeler. I like it. I like it. You guys are doing good tonight. Sabra? Yep. So she had a friend growing up. They had a whole closet full of costumes, dresses, and wigs, and they would be able to go in, and it had like a dressing room mirror that had the three, so you could step up into it and see yourself. That's a fun friend. Come on, Alan. As much food as you can. And that has not changed, has it? We still. I know. I hear you. Hannah. Stephanie's movie theater? They had a, like a home theater in their house? Yeah. Dylan. Yeah, a theater popcorn maker in your friend's home. Yeah, that is very... And did it work? Did you guys actually pop popcorn with it? Yes, and they have like an unlimited supply of kernels. So we just an unlimited supply of kernels. He's going to be giving the address out to that home at the end of the service. So that was good. All right, so, so, so this is where we, we launched in two weeks ago. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there or, or thumb there or swipe there, however you get there. Matthew 13, 52. I want to read this out of three different translations. And this is the anchor verse for me and for our church there, where we find what, what does it mean for something to be called God's house? Just like we brainstorm and had fun like that, when we're in God's house, there should be some things that are unique about his house that make it different from any other place. And so this is Matthew 13, 52. It said, and Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of household who brings out of his treasures things new and old. That's the New American Standard. I'm going to read out of the Amplified and also the New Living Translation. So it's each verse in different renderings. So this is Amplified. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher and interpreter of the sacred writings who has been instructed about and trained for the kingdom of heaven and has become a disciple is like a householder who brings forth out of his storehouse treasures that is new and treasures that is old, the fresh as well as the familiar. I like that phrase. The New Living Translation, then he added every teacher of religious law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner. I like that word there, a homeowner, who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old ones. So we find here in this text, I believe, four critical aspects if it's going to be God's house. If we're going to call it God's house, these four things have to be present. The first one is it has to be a house of discipleship. So we spent the first week 
talking all about discipleship, what we do about discipleship, how we practice discipleship, what we believe about discipleship. That was week one. And then tonight we're going to hit two of them. We're going to talk about this idea of what does it mean to be a homeowner and what does it mean to have new treasures. And then we're going to wrap up next week with old treasures. So those are the four. Discipleship, homeownership, new treasures, and old treasures. Those are four pillars, four parts that have to be present if we're going to call it the church, if it's going to be the house of God. And when we're present, those things should be recognizable. They should be distinguishable. We should have a sense of understanding what they are and how to get there. So just a bit of a recap, this idea of discipleship, we believe in three numbers, the one, the six, and the 12. The one is Jesus's great promise found in John 10, 10. I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest possible measure. I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest possible measure. And that's the promise that he gives to all of us, and that's given birth to our vision statement as a church, heaven now, heaven forever. The first heaven's with a lowercase h, the second heaven's with a capital H, the second heaven, the heaven that we're going to one day get to. Hopefully, if you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, you have the hope and the certainty of knowing that when you breathe your last, you're going to be in paradise and in eternity with your creator. And there's nothing you can do to earn it. Jesus by grace, it comes to you. But the second heaven, this heaven on earth, this idea of the experience that we have in this everyday life, that has to do with the choices that you make every day of your life. And so Jesus went on for three years and he taught, and we believe that in his teachings you can find six commands that anchor everything else that he taught, that all of his teachings connect back to these six in some way. Follow me, love God, love one another, be perfect, right? That's a mouthful. Be perfect, Matthew 5, 48. Go into all the world and be filled with the Spirit. Number six, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So those six, if I want to have the one, I've got to fulfill the six. And if I'm going to fulfill the six, then I have to walk in the 12. And the 12 are what we call pathways. Talk about prayer and worship and scripture and fasting. We talk about relationship and gathering and accountability, all these pathways, service, rest, stewardship, generosity, all of these pathways, reaching, which is talking about going out into the world and finding people who need to have a witness for Christ, 12 pathways that Jesus says, if you will walk in these 12 paths, then you will fulfill the six and you'll have the one. That's a little recap for where we went the first week. I like this idea if someone came to you and said, how do I get to Richmond? You could say, you need to get on Interstate 64. You need to point your car west, right? And then you need to hit the accelerator and you'll get there. It'll be, it'll be unavoidable. You, you just, you will not, it goes right through Richmond. So Jesus says to us, if you want to have this one, then you need to put your life on these 12 pathways. You need to point them in the right direction. You need to put your foot on the accelerator. And as you travel down these 12 paths, these six will be unavoidable and you will end up taking possession of the one great promise that he wants you to have heaven now, heaven forever. All right, that's a recap. If you want to hear more about that, you can listen to that from week one. All right, come on. Week two. Week two. So homeowners. So this idea of home ownership. Jesus says here in Matthew, he says they're, they're, they're homeowners. They're people that have a sense of ownership, people that have a sense of responsibility. So if you were to show up as a ch at a church and you're new to that church 
And you're kind of trying to learn about that church. You're trying to figure out who this church is. And, and you're looking around and you begin, the weeks that you come, the weeks that you show up, you begin to have a sense that the people that are there that you meet have a sense of ownership. That it's not just a church that they attend, but it's their church that belongs to them. What would be the things that you would observe in them? What would be the characteristics about them that would create that feeling in you? So you help me preach. Come on. Somebody give me something. What would be something? Sabra. They tithe. Come on. Come on. You can have the microphone. We'll let her preach a little bit. Right? Right? We're going to talk about that. They're generous with their finances for the church. Amanda. They serve. Yes, we're going to do that one tonight. Dustin's like, man, she took mine. Right? Dale. They're full of joy. They're excited to be there. Someone didn't just drag them in and made them come. Jen. Yeah, they're spending time with each other outside of that normal service. That, they're, that they can't wait to have a relationship. We did a whole series on that, hashtag clad in the fall. What's another one? Something that is an indication of ownership. Matt. Yes, there's diversity in the room. Come on, that's good. I like that. What's another one? When, when you're around people, Jenna. They're like the first ones in or the last ones out. They're the first ones in and the last ones out. And we know who you are. Come on, every week, the people, right? We have to say to you, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> comfort. Yes, that they're there to be a comfort to others. They want to be comforted by others who are there. Warren. They invite others. They invite others. Right? They're looking at the chairs around them that are empty, and they're saying, I want to fill those seats. Alan, passionate. Come on. You guys are doing good, right? Are you tracking? Like, don't you want to show up in a church and find those things? Don't, don't you want to be a church when people come in from the outside and are visiting? We went to a friend's of ours church. We vacationed with them a few years ago down in Florida. A great friend of mine, Dave Samuel, he's preached here before, and he pastors a campus at a large church down in West Palm Beach, right? Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to bear that cross. So, so, so he's down in West Palm Beach, and we were there that weekend. The, the weekend we were there, everybody had on a T-shirt, and it said on the back, this is my church. This is, they're creating a culture of ownership, and that's going to be a hallmark here at the City Life Church. We, we want to be a place where when you come, if you call this your home church, it's not just because you fill a seat out of a sense of obligation at a weekend service twice a month or right every other month, right? That, that you come in and you say, this place belongs to me. I'm responsible for it. You understand what that feels like in your house. We joked about that last week. When you wake up in the morning and you're confused at why your laundry hasn't been done and no one's done your dishes, you shouldn't be confused because we're not going to show up at your house and do it. We're not, right, the laundry fairy that comes to your home. We have our own home with our own laundry and our own dishes. You own your house. You're responsible for it. It's no different with the house of God. So I want to talk about three in particular, three specific ways that if you're not a homeowner here and you're thinking about it, how you can be one. All right, so I want to read out of Ephesians 4. This is verse 16. Ephesians 4, 16. It says this. He takes, speaking of Jesus, the whole body fit together perfectly. Listen to what he says. As each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now there's all kinds of parts in there that we can dig around in, but I want to dig around the one that says each part does its work. 
If you call a church, maybe you're visiting from another church and another church is the church that you call home. If that's the church that you call home, there should be a part that you're responsible for. There should be a work that you've taken on. There should be a task that you say, even if it's a task that I share in with others, that when you're in that church, you should have a sense of responsibility of this is a work that God has given to me. Every person who's a part of the body of Christ, if you're truly a part of the family of God, there should be a sense of home ownership. And part of what makes it home ownership is that you have a job that you're doing. And so one of the things that we're going to ask people here, if you call the City Life Church your home, is that, that, that at least at a bare minimum that you find a ministry that makes our weekend services happen and you commit to serve in that capacity once a month. And we're just saying that's a bare minimum, right? Because there's some people that do so much more than that. But regardless of what your involvement is, regardless of the title, if you're here, if you're here right now and you call this your home church and you can't name a ministry that you serve in once a month, to make these weekend services happen, we're going to ask you in 2013 to step into a place of ownership and that there's going to be a work and a job that you take on and you're going to say, this is a job that I do because I'm a part. This is my house. This is my house. It belongs to me. And one of the ways that you can test whether or not you're using your gifts in the way that Christ asks you to use your gift is the motivation by which you do it. I love the fact here that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he's speaking about Jesus and how he fits the body formally and perfectly together, he talks about what we're supposed to do, but he also says the motivation we should have in doing it. He doesn't say, I want to invite you to have a sense of ownership and put your gift and your work into practice so that you can feel better about yourself. Will you feel better about yourself? Sure you will, because it's a pathway that fulfills the six, that enables you to possess the one, but that can't be your primary motivation. He says your primary motivation is to serve other people. Right? He says your primary motivation is to help other people grow. Your primary motivation is that there is a love inside of you for the people that are around you that you can't wait to put the gifts inside of you to work, to be a blessing to other people. Is that not the example that Christ gave to us? Matthew 20, 28, we reference that verse often. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and offer my life as a ransom for many. And he was divine. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, if that's the motivation of his heart, how much more should it be for you and for me? If your motivation for serving in a certain area is because you want to find an audience, if your motivation for a certain area is because you just want to do it the way that you like to do it because that's what makes you happy and makes you feel good about yourself, you're not being a homeowner. You're serving yourself. It can't just be the work that you do. It's got to be the motivation behind it. You can do the work, but you've still not stepped into a place of ownership because your motivation isn't true. The motivation of your life has got to be simply this. I want to do it for the sake of other people. And how it best benefits them is what's going to define for me how I go about accomplishing the work that I want to do. It doesn't matter what area, the nursery, the worship team, hospitality, set up, tear down, everything about your life should say, I have a job that I do and I love to do it because I just get to serve other people. All right, what else does it mean to be a homeowner? Mark 12. I'm going to start in verse 41. Mark 12. 
Beginning in verse 41, it says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts and then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions for they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she poor as she is has given everything she had to live on. We do not have to be wealthy to be generous. That's the principle we find in this text. We do not have to be wealthy in order to be generous. Generosity is defined by the measure of the sacrifice of the gift that we give. Even if we don't have much, we can be a person of great generosity. Aren't you glad that the kingdom of heaven works that way? Because otherwise we'd all just be set up for failure. That's why what we talk about, we're going to be teaching on in 2013, we talk about priority percentage giving. When, 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 when God is saying, who's the most generous people of the world? It could be that some of the wealthiest people in the world are actually at the lowest part. Are you with me? Because Jesus here says, it's all about the measure of the sacrifice that you step into. And so we're saying, if you call this your church, if this church is your home, whatever generosity feels like and looks like for you, we're asking you to walk in that in 2013. We're not telling you what that should look like because we don't feel like that's our place. What we feel like our responsibility is is to invite you into a conversation with Jesus who's sitting by the collection box himself and asking him, have I crossed the threshold of sacrifice? That's, if, if, if we can be a church that teaches people how to have that conversation with God, then we're never going to have to be the church. We don't preach at the offering, right? We're not ever going to be the church that preaches a sermon at the offering. We want to be a church that says to people, hey, you have a heart that wants to hear what God is saying to you about your resources and commit your life to generosity. And our church will never, and it never has, and it never will have any issues with money. There's a place of busyness that we're asking some of you to step into in 2013. And there's a place of generosity that we're asking some of you to step in in 2013. And then the last one, and I'm going to go into the second one about new treasures. The last one is this, that there is, there is a place of community that we're asking some of you to step into in 2013. This is out of John chapter 1. Oh, I like this story. When Nathaniel Miller was first visiting, we were working out of this text, and so It's about Nathaniel, and he was like, huh, maybe this is the church that I'm supposed to go to, right? Come on. He tells that story. You can find him at the end of the service. It's a neat story. All right, verse 44. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. And Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth, right? Because every culture, every time in history always suffers from prejudice. Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached Jesus, as they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me, Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. We're going to use the same text next week to talk about a different aspect of the story. Verse 49, then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? 
you will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. I love this story because it reminds us that Jesus asks us to step into a personal relationship with him, that we like to call it a passion-filled, life-defining, moment-by-moment governing relationship with him. But he never invites us into a relationship with him alone. When we step into a relationship with him, he's inviting us to step into a relationship with others. If you've got a relationship with Christ, if you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, heaven is promised to you, the capital H, that's to come. But if you live your life disconnected from the community of the local church, you will never fully experience the heaven on earth that Jesus is passionate for you to discover. It doesn't have anything to do with the heaven that's to come, but it has everything to do with the heaven that's here. There is a place of community that Jesus asks each of us to embrace. There is a place of community that he asks each of us to give ourselves to because there is something of the richness of relationship. It's one of the treasures that he wants you to discover and that he wants you to have. So for, for some of you, it might be that how often that you're able to be at church is less frequent than God would have you come. It might be that your involvement in life groups is less consistent as God would have you come. Again, we're not telling you what the answer to that is. What we're saying is, would you be so bold to have a conversation with the creator of the universe and ask him, is my consistency in coming, is my consistency in belonging, is the effort that I am putting forward to build community, to let other people know me and to make an effort in knowing others, Am I walking in the community, Jesus, that you paid the ultimate price for me to have? We're just saying, open up a dialogue with the creator of the universe and see what he might speak for you. When we get a vision for community, all of a sudden it begins to change our decision-making process when we're deciding whether or not we're going to show up. Because we realize we're not just coming for ourselves, we're coming for other people. You begin to realize that your life is a gift of relationship to other people who are in the room. You begin to realize that you go to a life group. It might be that God's speaking to you. It might be that you've looked at that form and God's stirring your heart about a certain life group and you're not even interested in the topic, but you know that's the one that God wants you to go to. It's because there's somebody in there that he wants you to meet. And there has to be something inside of our lives that says, God, I want to be a part of the community that you've called me to be a part of. We can be surrounded by people all the days of our lives and still be painfully lonely. Jesus says, don't do that. You might be a Nathaniel, and he's calling you into a deeper sense of devotion with him, but Nathaniel was not invited into a relationship with Jesus alone. He was invited into a community of men. He was invited into a community of people, and his relationship with Christ did not exist apart from the community that he was in. Jesus didn't have separate appointments for each of the people that walked with him and these little siloed individual things and, and kept them separate from one another. He immersed them into a community as they were immersed into a life with him. Again, we're not talking about the heaven that's to come. Don't confuse it, right? The heaven that's to come is only about you and Jesus, but the heaven on earth has everything to do with you and everybody else in this room with you. In 2013, if you call the City Life Church your home, we're asking you to be a homeowner. We're asking you not to be a visitor, not to be a renter, not to be someone who just, we're asking you to say, when I come, this is my house. It's my church. 
And I know that I belong here because there is a work that I'm busy doing. There is a generosity that I like giving. And there is a community that I just can't get enough. Okay. New treasures. Come on, you can clap. Don't be a reluctant clapper. Come on. All right, new treasures. Oh, yeah, we got time. Come on. Even if we didn't, I'd probably just keep going because I'm fasting, so I don't have anywhere to be, right? <laughs> John 20. At least not until 10 o'clock tomorrow morning at the Williamsburg campus. John 20, verse 17. Oh, I love this text. And we talk about this one often. So just to set it up, Jesus, is, is, he's risen from the dead. It's kind of how we open communion. Three days, he's risen from the dead. People have come to the tomb and they've discovered that it's empty. Angels have talked to people. They're excited. And Mary finds herself in the garden by herself. Mary Magdalene, not Mary the mother of Jesus, finds herself in the garden by herself. She already knows that Jesus is raised from the dead, but she's still sad. We're going to talk about why that is. And so she thinks it's the gardener, but then all of a sudden Jesus supernaturally opens her eyes, the eyes on the inside, and enables her to see that it's him, that it's Jesus. And so she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which in Hebrew means teacher. In verse 17, listen to what Jesus says to her. Don't cling to me. Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. Now, this verse here has an important word that's in it. It's the Greek word hopto. And so when Jesus says to Mary Magdalene, don't cling to me, that's the word he actually spoke to her. Now, it creates a little bit of confusion for some people when, 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 you, when you read this because some people have taught that it means that, that he didn't want anyone to touch him because he had not ascended to the Father. But I don't believe that's the right rendering of this text. I think that Jesus is talking to her about something completely different. I think Jesus is talking to Mary about something completely different. It doesn't have anything to do with her being in a place of humanity and him being in a place of resurrection. I think because Mary has already had a revelation that Jesus has been raised from the dead, but yet she's still sad. It's interesting, isn't it? The emotion in her is one of weeping, even though she already knows that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Now, why is that? Because I think that she understands that Jesus is going away, at least going away in the sense that he's not going to be there in the physical presence. And I think Mary's having a hard time understanding what life's going to be like with Jesus being present in her life in a different way. And I think he looks at her and says, hopto, as a command. If you want to say, maybe it's even a rebuke. He's saying to Mary, Mary, you cannot cling to what your life has been like with me because I've got greater things waiting for you in your tomorrows. And if you get stuck in what we used to have, you're never going to have what I want you to discover to come. And he says to her, and you have no idea how good it's going to be. Job, come on, if you're reading through the Bible in a year with us, I hope that you are. What a wonderful book Job is, isn't it? So many of you read that and you say, God, let Job just be the story of my life, right? All right. 
Every time we do the chronological reading, right, we're doing the chronological reading plan, Job's right up front and center early on, right? I know. But Job 29, I want to read this whole chapter to you. I love this chapter. Just reading it this morning. Job continues speaking. I long for the years gone by. Oh, it sounds like Mary, doesn't it? I long for the years gone by when God took care of me, when he lit up the way before me, and I walked safely through the darkness when I was in my prime. Come on, you've had this conversation before. God's friendship was felt in my home. The Almighty was still with me, and my children were around me. My cows produced milk in abundance, and my groves poured out streams of olive oil, right? If you update that a little bit, you could say, when I was in sales, I closed every deal. Those were the days when I went to the city gate and took my place among the honored leaders and the young stepped aside when they saw me and even the aged rose to respect at my coming. The princes stood in silence and put their hands over their mouths. The highest officials of the city stood quietly holding their tongue in respect. All who heard me praised me. All who saw me spoke well of me. For I assisted the poor in their need and the orphans who required help. I helped those without hope and they blessed me. It could have been Mary Magdalene's speech in the garden, could it not? And I caused the widow's hearts to sing for joy. Everything I did was honest. Righteousness covered me like a robe and I wore justice like a turban or a flat cap snapback hat. Come on, for the young people tonight. I served as eyes for the blind and feet for the lame. I was a father to the poor and assisted strangers who needed help. I broke the jaws of godless oppressors and plucked their victims from their teeth. I thought, surely I will die surrounded by my family after a long and good life. For I am like a tree whose roots reach the water, whose branches are refreshed with the dew. New honors are constantly bestowed on me, and my strength is continually renewed. Everyone listened to my advice. They were silent as they waited for me to speak, and after I spoke, they had nothing to add, for my counsel satisfied them. Everybody always wanted to come to my Sunday school class. That's not in here. I'm just slipping that in. They longed for me to speak as people longed for rain. They drank my words like a refreshing spring rain. When they were discouraged, I smiled at them, and my look of approval was precious to them. Like a chief, I told them what to do. I lived like a king among his troops and comforted those who mourned. And it could be that right at the end it should just say, Hopto. I grew up in the... In the 70s, I was born in, in, in 1967, and my parents were a part of that great move of God that happened in the early 70s. We were part of an Episcopal church, and they experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit at what's called a Faith Alive weekend, where these teams of Episcopalians who experienced the, 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 the promise of, of Acts chapter 2, which we believe in here at the church, we're going to be teaching about that in 2013. And so there was a group of people that went around to all these churches and taught them about the beginning of Acts and how that's a promise for today. So my parents experienced that and became a part of a Faith Alive weekend. And so as a young child, I spent many of my weekends traveling with my parents around to churches in Virginia. They were part of a home group here. Uh, it's outside of Richmond. And, uh, and, and it, was, it was a home group that was from all different main denominational churches that would come together. And that was part of my childhood. I grew up seeing my parents and seeing these people excited about what God was doing. They sang songs like, come on, give me oil in my lamp, keep it burning. Give me oil in my lamp. Come on, some of you know the song. If you know that song, raise your hand. I know, tell the truth, don't be ashamed. And so this is what I know about some of you too. Some of you, when you're riding down the road in your car, this is what you say. Oh God, 
if I showed up at the City Life Church and Kevin Tully on the guitar started singing, give me oil in my lamp, keep it burning, I know we would be in store for the next great awakening in our generation. <laughs> Jesus, would he would just come back. He'd come back. If we could just invite Petra to come in and do a concert for the young people. Come on. We could change Newport News. Hop toe. For some of you, you are stuck in your walk with Christ because you are Mary in the garden, Job with the journal, only looking back for what once was. And Jesus says, come on, I behold, I make all things new. You got to move forward. You got to move forward. For some of you, you leave here each week pouting because it's just not like it used to be. And it's never going to be because it's not supposed to be. Because Jesus has more for you. It's going to be different, but it's going to be good. And there has to be something inside of us that hears the rebuke that he speaks to us. Hopto, do not stay where you are hoping for what once was because I've got new things to show you and to give you and it's going to be good. It's going to be good. So let me give you a couple of examples and I'm going to have the worship team come back up. We're always going to be a church that's expressive in worship. We're always going to be a church that's impassioned in our times of corporate worship together. But the songs that we sing and the style of the music that we do, that's a new treasure that we take out and cherish, but it might not ever become an old treasure. So we're going to talk more about next week, this idea that every new treasure doesn't necessarily become an old treasure. The old treasures are the things that you as a church, you hold on to, and they're going to be a part of your church for generations. They're going to be things that you bring out of your storehouse. They're the gems. They're the things that are handed down from generation to generation to generation. But every new treasure doesn't necessarily become an old treasure. That's what makes them new. And they have a season. They have a purpose for a moment. How we dress, the way we look, the times and the places where we meet, we cherish them today, but they are new treasures that might not ever become old ones. There's got to be something inside of you that says, I want to cherish the treasure for what it is today, but I'm not going to be a hop-toe follower of Christ. If this thing only has a moment, if it only has purpose for a season, I'm willing to lay it down because he's got other new treasures that he wants to introduce me to. And how churches get stuck, how they get stuck in a place. While many churches in the world today sit empty with so few people coming is because they've gotten confused about treasures that are supposed to be new and treasures that are supposed to be old. Some of you, you might be saying, you know, I, I hope we have pews one day because I just can't experience God in a cushioned chair. If my butt doesn't hurt when I leave, right? Come on, you know you've had those thoughts. I have thoughts like that. We all have thoughts and feelings about things that we cherished from our yesterdays. 
But the voice and the wind and the calling of the Holy Spirit in our lives has to have a discerning filter that says, what's the difference between what's new and what's old? We talk about this often as a leadership team, and we are committed as leaders of this church to say, we're going to keep the old old, and we're going to keep the new new. And for some of you, that's going to be hard for you. For some of that, that's going to be difficult for you. And we have one word for you, hopto. You can tattoo it in your hand, write it in your Bible, H-O-P-T-O-E, hopto. Do not cling to me. Stand with me. Father, we want this house to be your house. We want when people to come in, we want there to be a trampoline. We want there to be an in-ground pool. We want there to be a popcorn machine with an endless supply of kernels, especially when we're fasting. I want there to be an underground basement shooting range. Come on. We, we want your house to be a place that when people come in, they know that they're in your house because it has all the markers it has all the appearances. It has all the trappings of what makes it yours. It's going to be a place of discipleship. It's going to be a place, oh God, of home ownership. It's going to be a place where treasures are new and treasures are old. In Jesus' name, let's worship together.